Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. This episode is airing on Tuesday, April 13th, 2021. Hello, everyone. This is Shannon, and I am here with, you guessed it, another author interview, as well as a look at some of the new books that are out this week. I want to apologize for not being with you last week for the Tuesday episode. We had some computer difficulties that made it impossible to edit and publish the episode. But we are here now, and I'm really excited to share the interview I have for you today. I was fortunate enough to chat with author Deanna Rayburn, who many of you may be familiar with. Um, she writes historical mysteries with a bit of a romantic thread running through her series. So we'll be talking about her latest novel. We also discuss some of the authors she loves. Of course, we talk about what she's reading. We talk about her writing process, her views on reading and writing, all kinds of great stuff. We also have a mutual love fest for the phenomenal author, Jocelyn Jackson. So I hope you enjoy listening to this as much as I enjoyed conducting the interview. So I'm going to get into the housekeeping information. We'll then move directly into the interview, and then I'll be back to talk with you about some new books. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro podcast. This is Shannon, and my guest today is author Deanna Rayborn, who is the author of the Veronica Speedwell series. The sixth book was just released here in the U.S. on March 2nd, and that is An Unexpected Peril. Deanna, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Shannon. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So I like to start out by having authors give a brief introduction to the book. Now, since we're talking about the sixth in a series, I'm not sure how much of an introduction <laughs> you want to give about the particular book. So maybe just like the series as a whole or whatever you think would work best. Sure. Well, like you said, this is the sixth book in the series. It is um, a Victorian mystery series that follows the exploits of a main character who's named Veronica Speedwell. And the interesting thing about Veronica Speedwell is she is a lepidopterist, which is just a fancy $10 word for butterfly hunter. And uh, unfortunately for Veronica, she has a habit of falling over dead bodies uh, with the, the help of her, her sidekick, Stoker, um, who is a, a, a big kind of gorgeous guy who, um, bless him, I, I put him in the worst, most perilous situations always. He's been 
almost drowned, shot, stabbed. Uh, I, I abuse him terribly through the course of these books. But in book six, we see them um, hanging out at an organization called the Curiosity Club. And it's, um, it's a club that Veronica belongs to. And it was founded for the purpose of uh, bringing together exceptional women. Um, they might be botanists or mathematicians or biologists. Um, and they are in their own ways making strides in their fields. They're creative, they're charismatic, they're dynamic. But unfortunately, one of them has just fallen to her death. She's a mountaineer and was killed in her latest climbing exploits. And it's Stoker who figures out that she must have been murdered. That seems like an unfortunate way to die. Um, yeah, I mean, it seems like it would hurt. <laughs> I'm yes. not gonna lie. It seems like it would hurt. Um, but you know, she's she's a character we we only meet uh very briefly. So hopefully we can we can get past that and uh and focus on the the puzzle of solving who done it. Yes. So what was sort of your inspiration for Veronica Speedwell? You know, we don't see a ton of women sleuths in Victorian era. So I'm curious to know kind of what what prompted you to create this particular character? Well, you know, and that's one of the things that I I think uh, I find super frustrating is we focus so much on Sherlock Holmes, whom we all love. We love Sherlock. Um, But there really were Victorian sleuths being written about. Um, Penguin put out a fantastic book a couple of years ago about, um, it was a compilation of um, Victorian uh, female detectives. Ah, And it's a great introduction to the stories that were very, very popular um, for people who maybe don't realize that they were a thing. You know, you would go and get on a train and before you would take your journey, you might stop off at the bookstall in the train station and buy these little yellow backed uh, novels that were dead cheap. And they were usually adventure stories of some sort. There would usually be some sort of, of escapade to kind of while away your train journey, exactly the way we do in airports now. Um, and a lot of these featured female detectives uh, and they were, they were getting up to things that we don't think of female detectives as getting up to. Um, you know, there, there's one scene in particular that's very, very vivid to me where the detective actually has to take off her petticoat in order to fit through a trap door, which is, oh. you know, shocking uh, for the time. But Veronica in particular was inspired because I graduated, you know, back in dinosaur ages uh, from college with a degree in English and history, because I always knew I wanted to write historical fiction. And unfortunately, the program I went through really just focused on what men were doing in Europe uh, for about the last 2000 years. And like I always say, men were doing war. That's what men were doing. Uh, they if, were, you wanna, yes. <laughs> if you want to know what women were doing, at least with that program, you know, I, I had to go digging on my own to find out um, what the women were getting up to. And we have this idea that the ladies were all sitting around, you know, just gossiping and, and doing decoupage. Um, but the truth is a lot of them were up to some really, really fascinating stuff. And like just last week, I was reading uh, a, a fabulous article that was written about, um, it, it was written by a historian who'd gone through the census records to see what occupations women were listing. And there were over 3,500 female butchers in England. Oh, wow. And you don't think of that. Like that no. just, that's not an image that immediately comes 
into your head when you think of a Victorian woman. You're not thinking of the bloodstained cleaver and you know the dirty apron. You're thinking of somebody who's arranging flowers before the vicar comes. Um, yes. So, so I was really fascinated in what Victorian women were getting up to, and I found these Victorian female explorers who were very much like the women that I've put into the Curiosity Club. They were going around and, and searching out for botanical specimens. They were artists, they were archeologists, um, and they were going to places, um, they weren't discovering anything because people already lived in these places, but they were going to places where Western Europeans had not really traveled very much um, or at all in some cases. And so they were experiencing cultures and um, lifestyles and histories and landscapes that there was not a familiarity with for them. So it felt very much out of the norm, very much out of their comfort zone. And the great thing about Victorians is they wrote about all of this stuff. We have their journals, we have their letters, we have the articles they prepared for publication. And one of them in particular was a lepidopterist. She was a butterfly hunter. And she wrote these fantastic diaries that we still have. And she talked about her love affairs around the world because she slept with men while she was collecting butterflies. She made a living for herself. Uh, she, you know, she engaged in um, interracial and premarital sexual relationships, which is another thing we don't think of Victorian women as doing. And I was so fascinated with her that I thought, you know, if I ever have the chance to create another series character, I'm going to make her a lepidopterist in honor of this woman. And so Veronica is a lepidopterist. It gives her a great scope for living right at the boundary of what is considered respectable. Um, you know, she, she doesn't really give a fig about societal expectations. Um, and so she doesn't really care if people think that she should be invited to dinner or not, or if they'll talk to her on the street. And she has some aristocratic friends who are perfectly happy to, to spend time with her in spite of you know, her shocking reputation. But the people who don't wanna spend time with her are the people she wouldn't wanna spend time with anyway. Um, so it's actually been a very, um, a very good way of weeding out characters I wouldn't wanna write in the first place. Ah, well, that works well then. <laughs> So this is, as we've said, the sixth in a series. Mm -hmm. And we have this sort of ongoing discussion here on Book Bistro about reading in order. And many of us say that you should start with book one and read all the way through. And then we have a few kind of maverick people who say, oh, no, no, just like pick the one with the plot that seems <laughs> the most interesting and start there. Right. And so I'm wondering for your particular series, do you think that it's um, necessary or helpful to read in order or is it fine for people to kind of start wherever no, they it's feel fine. most it's, compelled? Yeah, it's fine for people to start wherever they like. I, um, I know what I prefer as a reader, which is to start with book one. But yes. that's what I like. That doesn't mean that that's how everybody else reads. I mean, I know of, of some complete iconoclasts who start the end of a book and read the ending before they go back and read the beginning. However, oh people choose to read, like, that's just complete anarchy to me. But if that yes. makes you happy, like, rock on. Um, <laughs> I, I firmly believe that you should read in the way that brings you the most pleasure. And if you were a person who looks at a series and says, oh, God, book one has got this particular plot point in it, and that doesn't work for me, skip it. 
you know, don't, don't ever feel constrained. Just because I read a particular way doesn't mean that my books have to be read a particular way because I write them specifically so that there are not spoilers. Um, there is an ongoing plot point regarding Veronica's parentage that absolutely does get spoiled because it's part of every book. But as far as the individual puzzle and the individual murder in each book, I will never come in and tell you um, at, you know, at the start of book three, well, you know, now that we wrapped up murder two and this person went to prison or I'm never going to do that. <laughs> so you can, I'm not, because, you know, I've done that before where I've picked up a book, not realizing, oh, it's book seven in the series. I'd really like to go back and read the others, but they just told me everything. So why, right. Where, where's the incentive to read them now? Because they just completely, all that sense of mystery is gone now. So I don't ever want to do that to a reader. So I like to keep it a little vague as far as what, and, and as a matter of fact, what I've started doing is if I refer, let's say in book six to a time that Stoker was nearly drowned, I will a lot of times put a little footnote and just give the title of the book in which he was almost drowned in case people want to go read that book. Uh, but you won't necessarily, but you won't know how he got to that point. You don't know. I mean, you'll right. he lived because he's here in book six, but um, yeah. So I, I try to make it as reader friendly as possible for as many different reading styles as possible. Um, because I'm not your mom. Like read how it makes you happy. I don't care. <laughs> I just I want guess. you to enjoy the books. I guess for some people, you know, depending upon the type of book you read, like if you read a lot of fantasy, for example, then in a lot of cases, you do kind of have to start with book one and read through for like world building and things like that. But I would think for something that's kind of set in our world where you're not having to explain a bunch of things and, you know, help readers like understand the world that it probably would be a little easier to like pick up in the middle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's like you said, you know, when you're, when you're writing fantasy, um, even sci-fi, you, you've got to world build, you've got to create this entire universe that doesn't exist. It may not even have the same laws of physics that we have, you know, you've got to explain everything from scratch. I don't have to do that. People know what Victorian London was like. Um, And so it's, it's a lot easier um, particularly because each one of my books is at its core, it, it's a mystery. These are, these are mysteries. So if you take out there, there is an overarching story, uh, going on about Veronica and Stoker's relationship and about the, their relationships with the people around them. And that's the thread that continues through all of them. And that's the thing that um, you know, you might get out of order if you're, if you're reading the books, uh, not chronologically. And that's fine. That's not going to mess anything up for, for the casual reader. But each book individually is a mystery puzzle. If you take the whodunit out of it, then that little adventure kind of collapses. It doesn't survive as a romance. It doesn't really survive as, uh, as an adventure. You need that puzzle in there. Right. Um, but if you take out the, the series element of relationship, then it still works as a mystery. So for me, they all come down to being about the individual puzzle. And so that's why absolutely you can, you can uh, certainly enjoy them out of order if that's your pleasure. Awesome. Yeah. You have found um, a very good way, I think, to satisfy both sides of this little um, book bistro controversy that we seem to have. I try, Sherry. I try. 
<laughs> I've seen people come to blows on Twitter about how, you know, the proper way to read. And I don't think there are proper ways to read. I think you read. I think whatever you read that makes you happy, you know, uh, graphic novels, audiobooks, however you consume stories is, is wonderful. Uh, and because it's all about living in that, that landscape inside your head. And I think as long as you do that, then, then I think we should be a little, uh, a little more understanding perhaps of, of the fact that other people like to do it a different way than, than we do. Having said that, I mean, for myself, I would sooner open a vein than start with book three in a series if I'm reading, but you know, that's just me. <laughs> so let's talk about your audiobooks because you have been so, so fortunate with your narrators. Um, I, I just, I love the people that have brought your books to life. Well, specifically in the Veronica series, we have the, um, the very impressive talents of Angel Masters. And yes. I, they just finally, with book six, put me in touch with her. So now I can email with her directly. And um, she's always been really wonderful about kind of sending queries through the channels, um, you know, do, if she has um, a question about how I would like something pronounced. Um, she's, she's always been really lovely about that. But that's the number one thing that I hear from readers who prefer audiobooks is, you know, how much they love her narration and, and her characterization and, and how she just really brings the book um, to life. And she, I did, I got a very, very lovely email from her. And uh, these are, these are projects that she particularly loves working on. So I, I was very happy to hear that. And who knows, maybe because she enjoys them so much, she brings an extra little something special to, uh, to Veronica's voice. She is just such an accomplished reader. And she's someone that has been, I feel like relatively unappreciated until recently. Like she's not someone that I hear a lot of people talking about up mm -hmm. until pretty recently. And so I was really pleased to kind of see her more on people's radar um, in the past couple of years. Yeah, she's, she's extraordinary. And, um, you know, that's one of the things that, uh, that people will ask me too is, well, is, is Angel going to narrate the next one? And my answer is always, God, I hope so. Um, you know, this is, uh, book six was the first time that they, that they asked me, um, you know, to make sure that I, I was happy with the narration. And I was like, oh God, if we can't get Angel, I don't, like, yes, please, you know, continue to bring her back. Um, all I hear from readers is how much they adore her. So, you know, we're, I, I couldn't be happier that they found someone who, who really clicks with the, um, with the series and with the voice and, and who's, um, you know, becoming such a, a reader favorite. Yeah, she is so, so good. There's another, there's a sci-fi series that I read, like a sci-fi romance kind of series that um, she also narrates. And she's just, she's so amazing. <laughs> yeah, so she's, aside uh, she's from, lovely. So aside from writing the Veronica Speedwell books, you have some standalones and I believe you have another series. Is that right? Yes, I started my career writing um, another Victorian mystery series, the Lady Julia Gray Mysteries, and um, those did um, very well. Uh, we got uh, six books into that series, and um, 
my publisher uh, decided that uh, we should take a break and asked me to write something else. And so I wrote um, a number of, technically they're standalones, they're 1920s books, but they are basically within that same world. So what you'll see is characters who were, you know, in their 30s in the 1880s, we see them as, you know, 70 year olds, uh, almost uh, in the in the later books. Um, and then at that point, I, I really wanted to go back to writing Victoriana. I really, you know, this, this Veronica series was, was really kind of knocking at the door wanting to be written. So um, that was the stage at which I left my publisher and went to Penguin. And oh, okay. I've been with them ever since uh, during the, uh, the Veronica series. And what do you see as coming next for you? Well, I'm currently writing the seventh book in the Veronica series, and hopefully there are more to come after that. Um, Excellent. They, yes, they love having me write them, and I love writing them. So it's a it's a very happy partnership. Um, and I also am writing right now my first contemporary, which will be out probably late summer of 22. Oh, and is it a like contemporary mystery or? It is, um, it's more... Um, I'm not exactly sure how we would characterize it because that's going to be more of a question probably for the marketing department, but it is, um, it's a book that follows the exploits of a quartet of female assassins who are on the cusp of retiring at the age of 60, but have to band together to take out the organization that is targeting them. For some reason, I really like assassins. I shouldn't, assassins perhaps, is so much fun. You know, it is so much fun to fictitiously kill people. Like, I love, it's my jam. It is. It is. <laughs> I, I feel a little, a little odd, like saying, you know, I, I really enjoy books about killing. You know, it's and, and yet, it is. It's why we don't kill people in real life, because we get to work out these frustrations as writers and readers on the page and then emerge from that fictional world feeling refreshed and a little less homicidal. And that's good for everybody. It is. So what kind of things do you read, either like when you're writing or when you're between books? Well, when I'm writing, I have to be very, very careful. There are um, a couple of writers in particular whom I adore, um, like Ariel Lawhon, Jocelyn Jackson, who have... Oh, Jocelyn Jackson. Yeah. Um, oh. They have such a specific voice that I cannot read them when I'm writing because it just infiltrates my head too much and interferes with my own voice um for the same reason i can't read um like sherry thomas's lady sherlock uh, oh yes. series when i'm writing uh that's that's a no-no so i try to you know binge their books when i'm between books um when i'm writing i i i tend to do very well if i stick with things that are um rereads things that i'm familiar with so i don't tend to to um, internalize it too much. So it, it may, I may be grabbing um, an Elizabeth Peters book um, for a, a, a happy reread or a, um, a Mary Stewart, or I may be reading a lot of uh, nonfiction, depending on what the, uh, the subplots of the particular book are, because my, my base of knowledge for Victoriana in general is really broad, um, but there are always so many more books coming out that I have to, you know, kind of keep up. And then with each individual book, there will be specific subjects that are for that book alone. Um, like there was um, book four in the series, A Dangerous Collaboration. I created a species of butterfly um, 
uh, a particular one that is a type of glasswing butterflies. So I have to do a lot of research into glasswing butterflies. Um, so uh-huh, it's so stuff that you like could that. Create it in a way. Yeah, that... exactly, exactly. So it, it's it, it'll be things like that that I have to kind of make sure that I've I've got everything in order uh, where it needs to be in my head so that I can riff on that and create a fictitious version of it. So have you read anything fantastic lately that you think the world should know about? Oh, yes. Um, oh, good. I have, okay. So if you want something thrillery and a really quick read and like fantastic to throw into a beach bag, if you're heading to the beach, um, Oyinkin Braithwaite's My Sister, the Serial Killer, um, is fantastic. I've been raving about this book for like a year and a half now. People are so sick of me talking about it, but it's really, <laughs> really good. It's a fast read. It's very murdery, but it's wonderful. And then um, also murdery is uh, Camilla Bruce's In the Garden of Spite. Oh which my is, gosh. I read that this, earlier this year. It is so, so chilling and lovely. It was fantastic. I yes. was lucky enough to read it to blurb it. And oh. uh it, it just, it was phenomenal. I have always wondered why Bell Gunness, who is a prolific Ameri- uh, American serial killer, is not better known. I mean, everybody knows <laughs> Jack the Ripper. He has right. five canonical victims. Bell was out there murdering dozens and dozens of people. And we still don't know what happened to her. No, and not we still don't sure. really like, know. Like, there's a big question mark. Did she die yes. in fire? Did she fake her own death? Nobody knows. Um, and like, we don't really know her motivations in a lot of cases. Like, no. And I thought Camilla Bruce's book just did such, because like, I don't read a ton of things that are in spite of the fact that I just recommended these two books. I don't read a ton of things that are really, really dark or put you in the headspace of, uh, a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of really horrible people. Um, most of my, my reading tends to be a little bit lighter than that. Um, but every once in a while, I, I, I will make an exception for something that is just so beautifully crafted that you're just obsessed with who these people are and what motivates them and how they become these monsters. Um, that it's just, I mean, I thought the book was absolutely extraordinary. And, um, that's another one I've been raving about for a couple of months and I'm sure people are tired of hearing me talk about, I don't care until you've all gone out and bought a copy. I'm going to keep talking about it. (laughs) Yes. It it was, um, we always do a monthly list of like most anticipated releases and, um, in the garden of spite was one of the January picks because it was just so incredible yeah, it was it, that was one of those books that really um you know a lot of times when you read for blurbs you have to read really quickly and that was a book that I just like I just uh because it was just so mesmerizing and so creepy in so many ways <laughs> and I just it was one of those books that I, I put the manuscript down and I just couldn't stop thinking about it and Every once in a while, you just get a book that's absolute magic and you feel really, really privileged to get to read it before it goes on sale. And this was yes. absolutely one of those times. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been my pleasure to, to rave quite a bit about that. I love early copies, like arcs kind of make I know, and life. I'm sad because with the pandemic, a lot of people have very understandably gone more towards um, digital instead of, uh, I always request um, a paper manuscript because it's just a lot easier for me to um to enjoy that format and so I've noticed that they're they're going to digital but you know it's better for the environment so that's (laughs) well and in terms of accessibility 
um, digital is is wonderful because like there are a Absolutely. few authors who only release their books as like paper arcs. Yeah, and I I can't read those. No, I, I, I to me in a perfect world they would all be available in whatever format you you most desire um, that is most accessible and and preferable to whoever is reading. Um, but if that's not possible, then they should absolutely be digital only because you know that's that's one of those uh, those situations where it it's uncomfortable sometimes for me to access it but it's impossible for you to access it if it's the other way so unfortunately yes it is I have the new um Jocelyn Jackson as an arc and I was so so excited when it came I'm like oh I'm so glad I it's have, here I have not gotten my hands on that one yet and <gasps> um which I find vastly annoying because here's the thing jocelyn and i have been friends for years we actually um she oh. very sweetly uh moderated my event at foxtail last week so that um i love foxtail i didn't I, even I'm, know you were there yeah we did a we did a zoom event last um i think it was last wednesday at foxtail and jocelyn was the person who was asking me questions so it was in conversation with jocelyn jackson oh, and so, so um i made sad. i made sure she they probably have it um i recorded. will look for it yeah, I they probably have it. it recorded. And that's, you know, that's the beauty of the Zoom events. I, I deeply miss touring in person um, because I came off my book tour last year, March 14th, and went immediately into lockdown. I um, bet you did. I, <laughs> like I took a silkwood scrub down when I got home. I literally, like I, I, I disinfected literally every possession I had taken with me on tour. My driver's license, like everything got wiped down with antibacterial oh, yeah. stuff. Um, but I went into lockdown and um, essentially haven't been out since. So this year's book tour was virtual and I miss being in rooms, in bookstores with people, but I absolutely love the fact that I've been able to have readers from Australia joining uh, our, our events and, you know, been able to, to coordinate and have, you know, a friend who's halfway across the continent as my moderator and yes. she didn't have to travel. You know, it's, it's all been really, really wonderful. Again, like you said, for ex uh, accessibility, it's been fantastic because people who for, um, for whatever reason do not have the means or the inclination to travel, uh, or the ability to travel, it, it's been lovely. And, you know, they always, they like to tour me to places where they don't think the weather's going to interfere. So in March, that means I tend not to get too far north. Oh, uh, no, my, that's true. My book tours, like, start, they go California, Arizona, Texas, you know, so, so we tend to stick with the southern states. So it's really nice that, you know, people can be sitting there with 40 inches of snow out their window, and I can still be in their living room. Yes. <laughs> Well, I will have to look for your foxtail event because they do. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they loaded it. Yeah, they they do so many fantastic things, and I usually get updates of you know what's coming there. Yeah. And somehow I missed you, and that is sad. Well, I I hope you can catch us on replay because Jocelyn is. I am obligated to only speak of her as Jocelyn Jackson National Treasure. Um, and I she love absolutely her. is she's fantastic we've known each other for for years now um, and she's just she's always a delight every time I get I, the first time we met we were at a um, uh, a book event uh, a festival in Georgia and we ended up hanging out in her her hotel room for about five hours after the event was over just talking because she is just 
she's just such an interesting person to talk to. She has such a lovely and engaging and uh, fantastic personality. I just adore her. And, and she narrates her own audio books. And I, I love can't it so even much. with that. I know oh. she's amazing, right? She's amazing. Sometimes she narrates other people's audiobooks, which makes me really happy. I know. She's a gift. We love her. Yes. I love her so much. <laughs> I, have to, I have to make sure she, she hears all this so she knows how, yes. how, I, how I talk behind her, behind her back. Yes. Tell her. You know, she's, she's very well um, spoken of on, on Book Bistro. We love her. She's, she's the greatest. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your kind of busy release week schedule to chat with me and let listeners know a little bit about who you are and your work and just what we can expect in the months and years to come. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Shannon. Thank you so much. This was a fascinating conversation and I look forward to releasing it to my little corner of the internet. And before I go, can you let listeners know the best places to find you online? Absolutely. Um, They are more than welcome to follow me on Instagram where I post sporadically because I never remember to take pictures or they can follow (laughs) me on Twitter where um, I, I have a bit of a problem. Uh, I, Twitter is my addiction. It is my vice Uh, choice. I adore Twitter. I am there a lot. Um, and I do love to engage with readers. So if you want to cross paths with me, or if you have any questions, uh, because I'm more than happy to, uh, to answer those Twitter is the best place. And I do a monthly newsletter that you can sign up for at my website. And is that just DeannaRayburn.com? It is DeannaRayburn.com. All right. Well, thank you so much. And good luck with your future books. Thanks. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. We have new books, as always. So I'm going to start out by discussing some books you've heard us talk about before. First up is Near You. This is Montana, book two by Mary Burton. This is a book that Mika is pretty excited about. I also want to mention a couple things that Melissa is anticipating. The Good Sister, which is the latest novel by Australian author Sally Hepworth, and Hush, Little Girl. This is the 11th installment in the Josie Quinn series by author Lisa Regan. And Sarah and a bunch of other podcast listeners, our podcast hosts as well, is really looking forward to Second First Impressions, which is a rom-com by Sally Thorne. You may remember from our most anticipated books of April episode, a discussion of tortoises and Big Macs. Those do relate to this book. So if that intrigued you, you might want to check this out. Okay, so now let's talk about some books you haven't heard us talk about before. And first up in that list is a novel called All the Children Are Home. It's by Patry Francis, who's an author that I've not heard of before. I don't know if they've published anything else or if this is a debut. But this is a novel about the foster system. It follows a foster family over the course of a decade. And we get to see you know, the things that are good for them, the things that aren't so good. I really enjoy reading foster care memoirs. And while this appears to be fiction, I'm still really excited about it. Again, it's All the Children Are Home, and it's by Patry Francis. We then have 
the second novel by author Allison Hammer. This is called Little Pieces of Me. Her name might be familiar if you read her debut, which is called You and Me and Us. But this one is a story about a DNA test. You know, one of those home swab kits that some of us have tried. Um, I haven't. I don't know if I ever will. But they tell you things about your DNA, your heritage. Maybe you have some relatives that you don't know about. And that is what happens in this particular book. And a woman finds out some things about her father. And it calls into question all the things that she thought she knew both about herself and her past, but also about who her mother is as a person. So this is Little Pieces of Me, and it's by Allison Hammer. We then have a dual timeline novel, which always makes me happy. And this is Lost in Paris by Elizabeth Thompson. This is the story of an estranged mother and daughter who join forces to uncover the secrets of the family matriarch. It has something to do with a Paris apartment and I think even World War II. So definitely pay attention to that if you enjoy World War II stories. And this, once again, is Lost in Paris by Elizabeth Thompson. I'm going to move on to some historical novels. Um, I want to talk about The Venice Sketchbook. This is the latest novel by Reese Bowen. It's a standalone as opposed to one of her novels in a series. This is, as you can guess, a story about art in wartime Venice. There's some intrigue, some romance, some mystery, but at its core, this appears to be historical fiction. So it is The Venice Sketchbook, and it's by Reese Bowen. We also have When the Stars Rain Down, and this is by Angela Jackson Brown. This is set during the summer of 1936 in small town Georgia. And it kind of calls into question a lot of things that are still relevant today. So it's historical fiction, but it's not one of those books that feels so far in the past where you're like, wow, I don't know how I can even relate to this. Um, this is stories. That, this is a story that you can apply to perhaps your own life or if not your own personal life, perhaps the lives of people that you know. So this is When the Stars Rain Down, and it is by Angela Jackson Brown. And I have to return to World War II for just a second to talk about Courage, My Love. This is the debut novel from Kristen Beck. And this is a story also set in, in Italy, although this time in Rome, about two very different women who become part of the Italian resistance once Hitler takes over Italy. So this is set in 1943, primarily in Rome. And it is Courage, My Love by Kristen Beck. And how about some mysteries? Um, first up is What Comes After. This is by Joanne Tompkins. And this is a book that I know very little about. Um, the synopsis does not give a lot of information. But what I do know is that if you love Tana French, especially her latest standalone novel, which is called The Searcher, then this book is perfect for you. I am a huge Tana French fan, especially of her Dublin Murder Squad books. Um, so I really want to check this one out. It is What Comes After. And it is by Joanne Tompkins. 
We then have Bitterroot Lake. This is by Alicia Beckman, and it's the story of four women who come together at a lodge in Montana. I'm guessing it's like a vacation lodge, kind of resort-esque area. And a murder occurs while they're there. And suddenly they are put in danger in ways that they never expected. So do they become allies? Are they enemies? I don't know. But if you want to know, you'll have to give it a look to find out. It is Bitterroot Lake, and it is by Alicia Beckman. We also have When the Stars Go Dark. This is the latest novel from Paula McLean, and it's also a bit of a departure for her. So if you're familiar with McLean's writing, you know that she generally has written novels that take place in the early part of the 20th century. So up to, eh, I don't know, maybe around the Depression, I have not noticed her to write too much about like the Second World War. So early 20th century. Now, though, she's writing a contemporary novel, which is being categorized as a literary thriller. And this is the story of a police detective who finds herself strangely familiar with a case that she's working on. It brings up some memories of something in her past. And now she is trying to solve two puzzles, both the one in the present and the one in her own past. So this is When the Stars Go Dark, and it's by Paula McLean. So I am wrapping up with two YA books. One of these is fantasy and one is not. The fantasy is The Prison Healer. This is the first book in a series of the same title. And it's by Lynette Noni. This looks to be a female-female romance set in a fantasy world about a woman, young girl, who is tasked with keeping the rebel queen alive despite her terminal illness. Um, apparently, the rebels have some plans for her, and this healer has to keep her alive so that she can bring these plans to fruition. So this is The Prison Healer, The Prison Healer Book One by Lynette Noni. And lastly... I want to talk briefly about The Sky Above Us. This is by Natalie Lund, and it's a novel that at its heart looks at the ways teenagers deal with tragedy. You know, I think in 2020 and a little bit into 2021, we've all dealt with a lot of hard stuff, and I don't know that we always take into consideration how young people are dealing with these things. And so this book kind of talks about that. I don't necessarily know that it sets its story in the current time, but it does look at the effect of tragedy on a teenager's ability to lead a normal, productive life. So this is The Sky Above Us, and it's by Natalie Lund. And that, my friends, is all I have for you today. I hope that you enjoyed the interview with Deanna Rayburn and that you have found some fantastic things to read this week. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. 
So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Thank you.